Hello everyone and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Engine Room Podcast. We have episode 9 up today and this is going to be a big one because we do have a lot to discuss and a lot of really interesting stuff to discuss too. I think first of all a lot of you guys watching will probably be thinking surely they're going to be talking about the transfer window and the crazy transfers that have been happening. Yes we will. Um, if you guys are watching this video on YouTube then of course you know you can see our faces and whatnot. If you're just listening to it, again, normal episode of the podcast, and I will be uh, rounding off to Luis in just a moment where he will be giving you some more info. But in today's episode, guys, we're going to be talking about Ronaldo to Man United, the potential transfer of Mbappe to Real Madrid. That one is really in the balance right now, so let's see what happens with that one. There's been loads and loads of other crazy deals that could still happen with the transfer window, and everything is very up in the air right now. On top of that, of course, we did have another weekend of action, some some good games in the Premier League, some some interesting games in La Liga too that I think we will discuss. And then, of course, you know, midweek was also the Champions League draw. So we're going to try and cramp everything in here to about an hour of content. And hopefully we get some good stuff out of it. Luis, I think you have a few things to say to the audience. Uh, yeah, first of all, hello, everyone. Como están? Como están? Uh, I just thought that it would be an incredible kind of next step in our career in the engine room to start, as you know, putting this this podcast videos in also in YouTube. That's something we're going to be doing. We're going to be rounding up some clips out of it and actually uploading them as well, separate videos so that we can uh, kind of separate our content a little bit more distributed throughout the week. And then another thing that we're going to be doing is also videos apart from that. So whenever something special happens, we're going to be returning here and make kind of like a special bonus episode or whatnot. And that's something we're also going to be uploading on YouTube. So stay tuned for that. And yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Everything we have to discuss. Follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, which we're also going to be opening soon. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And I think we can go ahead and start already with our first section of the Twisted Takes. Okay then guys, so here we are at the Twisted Take section. I'm going to start with mine, then we'll be passing on to, to uh, Luis. We should have some interesting stuff to discuss here, certainly as the episode goes on. But I'm going to start with my Twisted Take, and it may be a topic that comes up later but I have to talk about Barcelona again because I think that this transfer window from Barcelona might have been the worst in my years as a Barcelona fan. I've been supporting Barcelona for about a decade now and I don't really want... I've got to be careful to mince my words maybe a little bit, but I have been pretty disgusted, honestly, by this transfer window. Now, let's take a step back a bit, give a bit of context. Obviously, Barcelona aren't in a good situation right now, so we certainly weren't expecting fireworks and the free transfers that came in at the start of the window were very good in my opinion. However... When Jean Laporta was re-elected as president, what I was expecting as a Barcelona fan was proper change, proper decisions, proper leadership from the top of the board. And I honestly don't feel as if we're getting that right now. I really don't. You know, whether that changes as the years go on and if the financial situation changes, I hope so. But right now, I have to give my honest opinion. And the, the honest opinion that I have is that I'm not happy with what I'm seeing. Messi leaving was a complete disaster. You know, we've spoken about that before. Really, really terrible. But I think in general, with the fact that Barcelona have barely been able to sell any players... Yes, we've managed to get a few transfers in. I don't think the transfers have been bad at all. But you even look at some of the guys we've brought in. Emerson, for example, uh, a signing we were excited about. As of the time recording this podcast, he could be out to Spurs. What we're hoping for, well, what I'm hoping for, is that he rejects the proposal. That's the only way this transfer doesn't go through because the Barcelona board that I just spoke about have accepted about a 30 million euro offer uh, for Emerson from Tottenham. So... I think that says it all. I haven't been happy at all, and I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about it because, honestly, I, I am not happy at all. I really aren't, and, and I think the performance yesterday against Hetafe from Barcelona was really, really poor. 
And I think, you know, obviously we needed to keep as strong as we possibly could. And by the sounds of things, it's just not good at all. Yeah, I mean, for me, waking up today to the news of Emerson potentially leaving Barcelona really doesn't make any sense. As I as I said on a tweet before, I think um, it makes more sense financially for the club to sell him at 30 million. But still, Rabetis has like, what, 15% of the future sell on, like a future sell on clause. So that means that Barcelona would only be getting around 20 million. And, and still with that, it's only about a profit of 10 million. And I don't know how much actually good that makes for the club at this current stage. There are also reports saying that Kuman's plan initially was to keep Emerson inside the inside the club and then having changed him out for, for instance, uh, Mingueza, who could potentially also play in the right-back position, I think means that there's seriously no planning, like you say. There's no leadership. There's no roadmap of what they're following. They're changing their decisions as days goes on. And I do not think that is the right way to go. I think there could be ways to kind of move around or at least try to minimize the impact of the current situation of Barcelona in a sporting sense. But that's not happening because we do not have a proper plan in place. And the other thing that I, I need highlighting is the fact that there seems to be a really big kind of debate and gap between what the manager and sporting staff actually want to what Laporta and their board of directors actually uh, kind of aiming for. And I think there's a real divide there. And when you have that divide in a club, it's no good. And particularly right now, where at least they're trying to work together to the same kind of in the same direction, it's it's better than what happened before, I'd say, with Arsenal or clubs like Manchester United. But the thing is that still is not the ideal scenario that you want to have a club of this stature at, surely, right? Yeah, I completely agree. And I, th I think my issue with all of this and why I'm, why I'm so upset about it is because you know how happy we, we were to get rid of President Bartomeu. There was, there was that lift around the fan base, that, that, you know, that, that weight off of our shoulders that we thought, yeah, finally, our, our club is back in good hands. You know, we, we, can, we can rest a little bit. We can trust the guys in the hierarchy. And this window for me... This has not been much different from what would have happened if Bartomeu stayed. He wouldn't have been able to sell the players he wanted. Messi would have left the club. He only would have brought in free transfers, as we've done. He would have brought in Depay to please uh, Koeman, who, who he would have kept as coach. And he would have brought in Eric Garcia, that's for sure. He probably would have signed back Emerson. And he, well, maybe wouldn't have got Aguero because Messi would have been gone by then. So I feel as if this transfer window is almost identical to what we would have seen under Bartomeu. And the similarities are just there. They are there. You know what I wanted from Barcelona? proper planning from the top and i agree with you there's no there's no you know there's no middle ground almost there's no agreement between between the coach and the president they both want different things with ricky Puch, for example and, and it's all very crazy right now and unplanned for example what the club should do in my opinion is have a stance they should have a group of players who they want to keep in the squad for the next season so when offers come in for them they say no we don't agree to sell them what Barcelona have done in the last few years, basically, under Bartomeu, is almost just, you know, leave ev anyone and everyone up for sale. If you come with a good offer for our players, you know, have him. And I really don't like that. It just tells you, and it tells us fans, that the squad isn't being planned properly. And this move from Barcelona is exactly the sort of move we've been seeing over the last two years. And it's exactly the sort of move that we wanted not to happen after Bartomeu left the club. And that's what's upsetting me. I'm not seeing changes here. I really aren't. And Laporta and his presidential campaign, he did promise that. You know, he promised changes. He promised proper decisions. And what I'm hearing right now is just so far from what Laporta said in his presidential campaign. Honestly, this is this is so poor. And even in Emerson's presentation, he said Emerson's a player for the future here. He's one that Barcelona fans can get excited about. You know, he's played about 90 minutes for us now, Emerson. 
and he's going to be sold. It's just awful, honestly. I'm I'm livid with with what I'm reading. I I really am, and I'm not happy about the situation at all right now at Barcelona. I think there are so many issues, honestly. I really do. And do you think that there could potentially be more departures? Like, of course, the situation of Mario is like one where. I think he's not going to be missed, certainly, surely. I was really stoked about his rise and kind of just opportunities that he got under Kuman. But apparently, of course, he has other priorities in, in his in his sights. And OK, fair play. That's what you want. But get the hell out of my club because I really do not want that sort of attitude. But then like the other departures of like Pjanic, we're hearing that if uh, Gudeli lifts up Sevilla, he could potentially go there on a loan, which makes absolutely, once again, no sense. I don't know why Sevilla would want Pjanic in that scenario. They're not similar players at all. But uh, it's kind of what Barcelona are just are just seeking for. They're just trying to scrape for any deal that could potentially kind of balance their books. And it's quite annoying. It's quite annoying, particularly. It's quite annoying when you, when you take a look at what young of four players we have progressing and the inability to be able to get rid of this dead wood. We're just in a situation where it's kind of like we cannot start the proper rebuild until we get rid of these players that roots us to the past, you know? So, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's one of the potential worst ever transfer windows that Barcelona have had. Um... It's probably up there with the one of no. I think actually, okay. Which one would you prefer, the Arda Turan one and Alex Vidal, with them starting both to play in like by the in in the next year because we had that ban, or this one? Yeah. Honestly, that one and and the reason the reason yeah the, the, that one because. Because that was like under Luis Enrique and under a stable squad, and it was like we're bringing these guys in because the board and maybe the manager agreed it. With what we're seeing now, it's like we're selling players who we don't really want to sell, but we're just doing it because you know they'll bring in money, and we're keeping players who we don't want to keep. And I just can't stand that, and I can't stand the way that the management is working like the old board. I really can't. Yeah, and you know what? I actually think that uh, that's a good representation of how far down has Barcelona fallen. Like, when is the last time that you actually thought of Barcelona potentially just selling players because they need the money? Like, Barcelona are supposed to be a club that they put the, like, they put how the negotiation is going to go, right? They dictate the negotiation. But now that's not happening. They just simply are having their, their, their hands completely crossed, folded, and waiting for anything to happen. And I think that tells you a lot of, of where we are right now. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Honestly, I, I could ramble on about this all day because this morning has just been dreadful for Barca news. We, we probably thought we'd be getting a bit of respite in these last few days, but no, more chaos for us fans. So I, I'll, I'll stop rambling there. Shall we move on to your twisted take? Because maybe we'll come back to Barcelona at a later point in the episode. What, what have you got for us? Uh, so I wanted to talk about a little bit of Cristiano Ronaldo. And I thought that the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo, it's good for football. It's good for, well, Cristiano Ronaldo to Manchester United. It's good for football. It's good for the Premier League. And it's good for Manchester United in the sense that I feel that they are now, it, it makes them true contenders. I think that last time around, Manchester United, we, we came here in the podcast and we mentioned how, particularly I mentioned how, I thought United had a, a title winning or title challenging squad in their hands because of the signature of Varane and the incorporation of Jaden Sancho. But I thought that they were lacking in the number five. They were lacking in that uh, in that defensive midfielder because, of course, I do not think that the tools that they had at their disposal were going to be good enough 
to be able to kind of, uh, how do you say it, kind of uh, replace the potential goals that they may concede. So I don't know if I didn't think their attacking, attacking output would be as good. But now with Cristiano Ronaldo, you completely change that narrative because you have literally one of the best goal scorers in the world, potentially the best finisher, and someone that is going to be coming here to United and is going to be expected to, to put all those chances in the back of the net. Imagine just the delivery from Rashford, Bruno, Pogba, Sancho, Justin to CR7. That looks tasty. That looks good. And look, here, I'm a Barcelona fan, a long-time Barcelona fan. I hated Ronaldo at Real Madrid, but I hate the players. I hate every single player in Real Madrid. But the thing is that it just makes sense for football for Ronaldo to return to United. Going to City, it would just be kind of like absurd. It wouldn't make any sense. And I thought that City... In all honesty, like, of course, any club in the world needs Ronaldo, but if there's one club who needs him the least, it's probably them. Uh, now with United, it's just kind of like, it makes sense. There's no more excuses. I think Solskjaer cannot longer hide in the fact that he hasn't been backed. I mean, this is the best squad potentially since 2010, 2009 for Manchester United. So we are looking at... I believe, at least the resurgence of United, of what they mean and, and their stature of the club. I think that once again, now you're going to be see people tuning in once again to see Manchester United just because of what they mean as a club. And for me and for you, it makes sense because we've seen this club battle it out in the finals of the UCL. And I think that Ronaldo is going to bring them that. It's going to bring that exposure and the spotlight back into a club that desperately not only they need it, but I think that, that football needed because... To be honest, just Liverpool, Chelsea, City, I think somebody else. Uh, we were lacking Manchester United to be to be back there because Arsenal are, are literally not going to be there for a while. Tottenham are not it. And, and we just needed somebody else to to race, to to rise to the to stardom. And I think that Ronaldo is going to give that to United. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the blockbuster, blockbuster transfer, really, isn't it? Unbelievable what happened. It looked like Ronaldo was off to Man City, and that would have been insane. But Man United intervened, and whether they really wanted the transfer to go through or not, or whether they just wanted it to, you know, wanted Ronaldo not to go to Man City, I suppose we'll never really know. But you get the feeling that they just weren't going to allow, going to allow that. Too many club legends, people like Sir Alex, you know, in Ronaldo's ear and in the club's ear, just ensuring that this deal went through for Man U. I agree with all your points. I, I think Ronaldo, of course, he's going to add goals to Man U. Man United have an incredible attack now, an incredible team. A team that, for me, Solskjaer has to win silverware with, has to play better with. But again, I, I, I think United needed a, a central defensive midfielder this window. I really, really did. And it doesn't look like they're going to be signing that. Um, you look at the, the game against Wolves yesterday. You know, United lined up with, again, that star-studded lineup. Varane was in at the back. Sancho was in on the wing. Uh, Green was racking up goals now. But again, you know, I couldn't catch it, but I heard a lot and I, and I saw a lot of highlights from it. And players like Adam Antrincal just ran through United. And that is where they need someone like a Declan Rice in front of the back four just to cut things out. And the fact of the matter is they're not going to have that all season long. They've got to accept that. They're going to have Fred, McTominay and Matic in that midfield. And that's the bottom line for them. So they're still going to have issues. And I'm still not convinced that, that Solskjaer is, is tactically adequate, adequate to really compete. But... I think with Ronaldo, they're going to win a lot of matches. They're going to win a lot of football matches now. And it's that simple. They've got too much quality, way too much ability. And with someone like Ronaldo, who for me will probably reach 15 goals in the Premier League this season, maybe not in his 30 or the incredible numbers he would have reached when he was in his early 30s or in his late 20s. But I think even, what is he, 36 years old now, 35 or so, I think he's still going to be able to get you know a good amount of goals for Manchester United. Yeah, and like you said there, I think 
Ronaldo wins you those matches. And what Ronaldo brings to the table that United pretty didn't have, have was like, for instance, the game against Southampton. If you had somebody like Ronaldo, United still managed to create chances, even though they conceded some as well. But I think that he's the guy to turn those into potential goal-scoring opportunities and actually put the back into put the ball in the back of the net. And if that happens, you're going to be racking up points. You're going to be turning defeats into draws. You're going to be turning draws into wins. And that is potentially what you need to to be one of those top teams, right, in the world. And potentially now even turning it back again to moving to, like, the Champions League, I think United... Uh, now look more of a, of a tasty opposition. And I think they're going to be believing and backing themselves more. And if we talked about, for instance, I don't know, percentages of which clubs could win it, I take a look at, for instance, as a draw between, let's say, Barcelona and Manchester United, I think we know who are going to be favorites. And it's not going to be Barcelona. For a very long time now, that narrative is also changing. So I think that that is what Ronaldo brings. It brings more more stature. It brings more pedigree and it brings more like I always like to say it with Ronaldo and Real Madrid it, it makes them believe that they're always full of themselves and that's kind of what United were in, in a time you know you you hated to play against United and now you're gonna hate it even more yeah I agree obviously it's a huge signing and to be honest you know Varane, Sancho and and Ronaldo it's incredible it's incredible for United so for me they, they've got They've got little to no excuses. So Solskjaer's going to have to buckle down. They're going to have to compete. They're going to have to get out of their Champions League group this this time, that's for sure, and probably at least reach the quarterfinals for me. Premier League, I think they've got to be up there, and I think they will be up there. If you think they were already second last season without these players, I think they will be there now. They win a lot of games, man. you. They rack up a lot of points. They've got a lot of quality in attack. So I'm still expecting them to, to do good things. Yeah. So now where are we headed, Pablo? Where are we going? Yeah, where, where are we headed? I I think we've spoken a bit about Ronaldo there, and maybe we'll come back to him, but shall we discuss a bit about Mbappe to Real Madrid? Yeah, sure. I mean, we don't have a, a particular place for it on the on the podcast, so let's do it. <laughs> I mean, we have to talk about Mbappe to Real Madrid because they say that Real Madrid are kind of raising the bid, right, to 200 million. Oh, my God, that's absurd numbers. Yeah, I mean... Uh, but we, we must clarify, at the time of recording, we are we are lost on this transfer. Who knows what's happening? A few days ago, it, it looked like it could happen. It looked, it looked like a serious possibility that Mbappe was going to Real Madrid. Over the last, I'd say, 48 hours, it's kind of felt as if he's going to be staying at PSG. He got included in their squad. He scored two goals last night at the time of recording for us against Rem, and that, that won them the game. Ultimately, he was very good on the day. He celebrated happily. He looked content with his teammates. Pochettino you know, said, you know, we know the stance of the club. Nassau Al-Khalafi, I don't think, really wants to sell Mbappe. But then again, this morning we've woken up and as the transfer now has been this season, more chaos. It looks like, I feel, if Real Madrid bump up the offer by 10 or 20 million, Mbappe could be off to Real Madrid on, on deadline day. I mean, how do you see this one? Because I think I've got so much to say on it and it's just such an incredible transfer that there are certain different stages we, we've got to like almost tackle this transfer first. But let, let's hear your thoughts on the whole Mbappe to Real Madrid scenario. I mean, if we're talking about personally what I want to happen, I think that we deserve to see at least one season of Mbappe, Messi and Neymar because we didn't see that last time around. Uh, because in the game against Reims, Reims, I have absolutely no idea how you pronounce that. But uh, but Messi made his debut, but he came out, he came in for Neymar, so we didn't see that. I think we need to see Mbappe play with those two and Neymar and all together. I think it's going to be a deadly duo, so I at least want to see that for one season. 
And personally, I do not want Ramari to be strengthening at this uh, this season because I think if they get Mbappe, they are now turning the tides again, and potentially La Liga is in their in their court back again from Atletico to to them. And, and being a Barça fan, I really do not want that right now. But uh, but from a but from a perspective of how the things are turning out to be, I do feel that it makes sense for PSG to get rid of Mbappe now. Mbappe has made it clear that he isn't going to renew. And let's not kid ourselves. What would you take? One year of Mbappe at your club when you already have running now Messi or 200 million? Like, it's it's up. that's the debate. You, you sell Mbappe for the money that you have now or you don't, but you, you basically get, you get rid of Mbappe and are free. And that's not going to happen. I do not think, I, I don't think a, a serious businessman wouldn't consider getting rid of Mbappe for absolutely bare peace. And I think, yeah, I think PSG would, would cut on it and it would make it happen. I think Mbappe could be joining Real Madrid now. And it makes sense also for Real Madrid because they are potentially seeing how the spotlight is shifting from them. And it's kind of like Real Madrid has always been in the headlights and now they're not anymore because, you know, Ronaldo moved to United and all these incredible transfers around the window. And yeah, and... From PS from PSG side, I also think in a way it could make it easier for PSG to put all the right pieces in the in the right places. I think that having Mbappe, Neymar, Di Maria, Messi, Draxler, all these players, it's gonna be hard for Pochettino to actually make a team and, and a coherent squad. And now potentially if Mbappe goes to Real Madrid, for M for Real Madrid CC, they always needed a right winger, and I think that's where Mbappe will slot in. But for PSG also, then you can put Messi in a false nine. You can have Di Maria through the right. You can have Neymar through the left. It's a more it's a more coherent decision. It makes more sense from a sporting perspective. It also turns out to be quite understandable. So I think Mbappe to Real Madrid will happen. If if I had to had to bet on on bet some money on it, I think it will happen because it would be just too hard to turn down for PSG all the amount of money that Real Madrid are offering. Yeah, it's it's a mental transfer. I, I think on the on the whole transfer figure side of things, I think most normal clubs would have to accept two hundred million now instead of zero for a player that leaves for free next season. Of course, I think almost any club surely would accept that. I think where PSG come in is one. I think it's pretty damn obvious they don't really care about money. In my opinion, PSG aren't a club that think you know oh we need player sales to, so that we can sign players. You know, come on, let, let, let's let's not kid anyone here. You know, PSG are always going to have money, and I and I just don't think that. Of course, it, it would help if they got two hundred million, but I just don't think that it's a big reason that that would you know stop them spending next summer, for example. So that's number one for me. Number two, and this is probably my main point as to why I think PSG should almost stand firm, is because it a lot can change in a year. A lot can change in a year. So, for example, one year ago for Barcelona, Messi was sending in a bureaufax, refusing to train adamant to leave Barcelona a year later he was crying because he'd been forced out the club and I know that's because of the presidential change and whatnot but the point remains the same things can change very very quickly in football you know 72 hours ago Ronaldo was going to Man City and then 48 hours ago he'd signed for Manchester United everything can move really quickly and that's almost the argument I'd give PSG if if, if Real Madrid do poorly this season without Mbappe if Mbappe starts to get along with Messi and Neymar and PSG who knows, win the Champions League or get to the Champions League final again or building something with Pochettino and Mbappe settles in Paris. You just never know. And I think PSG know Mbappe is their prized asset. 
Neymar's getting older, and let's be honest, he's getting less effective. Messi's got two years max in him, in my opinion, at, at, at PSG, really, if, if we're being honest. So we still see Mbappe's the main man. Last night, about to leave for Real Madrid, yeah? Scored two goals and won them the game. He's the guy for PSG. So there are things in my mind that, that tell me that PSG, weirdly, despite the fact that they're, they're turning down 200 million for a player who could go for free next season, I get the feeling they should be keeping him, but it's very easy for me to say as a Barcelona fan. But I think the, the, the point is a valid one, that, that things can change in a year. And, and what do you think about, like, potentially... I, I said on a tweet, and, and it got really big really quick, because I said that Mbappe to Real Madrid potentially gets Haaland closer to Barcelona, and I kind of think that that's true in a way. I think that if Mbappe stays and Real Madrid doesn't go for him... I think there's more possibility for Haaland to join them, and I think they're less for Barca. And I feel that it forces kind of Barca's hand to make a power play. And I just would like to see that happen, please. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I would hope it would force Barcelona's hand. My issue with that, with that narrative right now, and it's the narrative I've followed. I've I've said, please, you know, as long as, if Mbappe goes to Real, it means that Haaland goes to Barca because I I think Real Madrid are the main club in for Haaland, but I don't think Haaland should or would go to a team with Mbappe on them. I don't think it's right for both of their careers. So I think the natural thing, obviously, is for for Haaland to to fight against Mbappe at the two biggest clubs in the world, Barcelona and Real Madrid. That's the natural thing. The issue is, as we spoke about earlier, we cannot trust Barcelona anymore. Barcelona are just uh, are not in a good enough position for me. And I was right behind Laporta. And in fact, I still am. I still think he's the man for the job. But I cannot stand behind him and say that he's had, had a good window because he hasn't. And and I also can't trust the financial situation in this club. So as much as, look, maybe Barcelona are going to be selling players like Emerson he likes and building up cash. And that means that they can put an assault for Haaland next summer. Would Haaland want to join Barcelona, I think, is, is one of the main issues. And I think the other issue is, will Barcelona really be able to get him? So that's my issue with that situation. But I think you could be right. Say Mbappe stays at PSG and he renews that scenario I just said. Maybe he stays and gets happy and does what Messi tried to do at Barcelona and renews. Then I think Real Madrid will, will get Haaland. That's the scary thing. It looks like for Real Madrid, it's either Mbappe or Haaland or both. You know, it's not like it's going to be none of them, which is really, really worrying. Yeah, but like... If we mention, for instance, I the one thing that I always go back to, it's the fact that why when Haaland's father and Rayola could meet with any club in the world, first they decided to meet with Barcelona. It still I still do not understand why. I still don't understand. Like, was perhaps the pool of Messi too big, or was the fact that I think this is my take. I want to hear what you have to say. I think that potentially Laporta, and I think, as you and I discussed before, there is something about Messi's departure that we do not quite know. There's a missing key piece of information that, in my opinion, is that Laporta already knew that it was impossible to keep Lionel Messi at the club. So I'm thinking that Laporta could have potentially said something like, Look, Rayola, we know that Messi is going to be leaving, so where do you stand? So I think that that's a way to pursue Haaland. I think that if there's a way to get Haaland, you have to sell him. Not the sporting, not the, not the actual sporting plan, I think. I think it's more about the fact of where you stand, of, of the stature, of the, of the media, of being a poster boy. I think that's how you get Haaland. I think that's what Haaland seeks. I think it fits his personality. And I don't know, what do you think? You think that Laporta maybe knew by that stage when he met Haaland that maybe Messi was going to be leaving and that's kind of something that they mentioned 
undisclosed. Maybe, maybe. I, I do I do hope one day that we we kind of get the story of Messi's departure because it, it's still really odd and fishy, isn't it? But what I will say about Laporta is that one of the main things I always said for him when he was running for the elections is that he has very good relationships with agents. I was kind of, you know, throwing that in the air. And, and since then, you know, we, we lost our on Alaba. We didn't go for Donnarumma, so not much seems to have happened. But I would hope that, that Laporta is in Raul's good books and he is saying, hey, you know, we're at the front of the queue for Haaland here. And I, th- I think for Haaland, it, it could be a brilliant move to go to Barcelona. I do worry that it won't happen just because of the, the sheer amount of money that other clubs will throw at him next summer compared to us, along with their sporting project. I think they'll just be superior to us. But I think for Haaland, if Mbappe is at Real Madrid, either this summer or next summer for free, the idea of Haaland coming to Barcelona to rebuild one of the greatest clubs in the world, one of the most historical clubs in, in the world with so much history behind it, a lot of good young players, perhaps even even a new coach next summer, like like a Xavi or who knows, you know, Luis Enrique, whoever. I think the idea of Haaland coming, challenging Real Madrid in La Liga with Mbappe, for me is a brilliant narrative. And, and I kind of always thought quite a while ago that it should be the narrative that plays out. Haaland at Barcelona and Mbappe at Real Madrid, I think it would be brilliant, but... I'm 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 not like I'm not holding my breath over it. Is what I'll say on this Haaland move. I'm really not. I'm I'm not happy with with the club in the transfer market these days. And and yeah, it's a dream for me, but I'm not holding my breath as I say. Yeah, I mean, of course, I want it to happen. I want it to happen. The other day, I was playing FIFA, and I was like, which number do I give Haaland? And then I thought, just give him the ten, and he makes so much sense. <laughs> Oh my god, I want to see I want to see some power plays from Barcelona soon, but like you say, I do not think it's going to happen any any time well soon. Sorry about the redundancy, but that's how it is. I think that's just how it is. But I guess with that, we've talked plenty of La Liga already, and shall we move now to the centerpiece and talk over some of the weekend's action because I think there's plenty to discuss. Okay then, so here we are at the centrepiece of the podcast. We're going to be starting with discussing some of the Premier League action that went on this weekend. Uh, some interesting games, actually. I think there's some interesting narratives we can pull from them. Nothing maybe massively groundbreaking, but I think the game we probably should speak about, which is maybe the one that everyone had their, their eyes on first, would be the Liverpool-Chelsea game quickly. You know, I want to know any, any... what you think about the red card. I'm dying oh, to know. Sh- 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 I'm dying to know. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I start with my Liverpool-Chelsea thoughts? Please. Ah. Uh, Okay, okay, I'll, I'll be brief. I, th- I think overall, I was massively impressed by Chelsea. I think the first half was brilliant from Chelsea. I really do. It looked like we had Liverpool where we wanted them. Classic Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel, no, you know, away ground, tough game. Went one and up with a Havertz goal. Brilliant header from a Reese James corner. You know, we were defending well. We were digging in. We were hitting them on the counter-attack. We maybe could and should have made it 2-0. And then the world flipped on its head. Let me get my thoughts on this situation. Um, I, I, when I first saw it, I thought that the penalty wasn't going to be given because of the fact that it hit his knee and then his hand. That was my initial thoughts. However, because it's on the goal line... Yeah, that's what happened last season. Like Last season, that wouldn't have been given as a penalty. That, I think. That's what I thought. So, I mean, I, I don't read up on the rules. Is, is maybe where I'm in the wrong here, but I was gutted. So, okay, they give the penalty apparently because handball on the goal line, they have to give the penalty. Fair enough. If it hit off his knee and his hand wasn't there, it was going to the net. I concede. Anthony Taylor. Um, if you, if, if, if any of you, <laughs> <laughs> that laugh was like, oh, Anthony Taylor, you're so shit. <laughs> yeah. if, if, if any, if you know about Chelsea well, you'll know about this guy because this has been a theme for about two, three years now, and we've been on a serious note, we've been asking this guy to be banned from refereeing our matches for a while now because 
like I say, on a serious level for me, it's bang out of order. It really is. I don't get how he's still allowed and I could go on, but he's done this countless times. Shocking decisions against Chelsea. Now, I know VAR have told him, go over and watch this. So he goes over and watches it. And for him to send off Reese James, what he has to know is that it's a deliberate handball on the goal line. Anthony Taylor walks over to the monitor and doesn't even watch the clip. He took a, a glance at a freeze frame, turned around and whipped out his red card. I am baffled by this referee. I really am. And I am disgusted at the decision making. Anyway, I'm, I was really sad about that because I thought Chelsea were doing really well. And it kind of just, you know, our world got flipped upside down then in what was a huge game in the Premier League. We managed to grind up the, the draw. Fantastic result, in my opinion. You know, it's the sort of result I would have taken before kickoff. So I will take the one all. And after going, you know, all that chaos, I thought Chelsea would have lost their heads a little bit, you know, and been really riled up, which it looked like we were. You know, the managers, the assistant staff, and all the players, and Lukaku, everyone's crazy at, at half time. And But to be fair, you know, they settled down. Even Kante went off injured at half time. So, you know, Chelsea had everything against them here, I felt, against one of the best teams in the country away from home and still managed to get the point. It was a brilliant defensive display in the second half, and I'm really proud of, of everyone there who, who got the point, but I'm not happy with uh, with Anthony Taylor and, and the decision on this one. So, you know, how, how did you see this this game? Uh, I, I have to say that I thought in the, in the first half, Chelsea were on top. I think that even though Liverpool managed to get some good chances in, it was Chelsea who controlled the game and dominated because it was played at what Tuchel actually wanted it to be played at. Um, then, of course, I think that Liverpool took control after the red card. I thought that it shouldn't have been given as a red card. I thought it was too much of a hindrance on Chelsea. It didn't make sense. I don't know the rules also. I really don't. I'm not going to come here and be like a, a mega mente and tell you what, what happened. But like, but uh, but I just feel that, that it shouldn't have been given by the red card. I was actually kind of preparing because uh, I needed to go for like a family reunion or something. So I was watching it like on TV, but I was showering. I was dressing and stuff like that. So I couldn't be watching it completely the first half. But then the second one I, I did manage. And I have to say that for me, one thing that Klopp made as a wrong decision, or I hear it is, I don't know whether it was an injury, but why take out Roberto Firmino like that? I don't know where, bang, take him out before the first half. I thought that was a little bit of a risky move, particularly... Of course, he didn't know it was going to be a red card. But then later in the second half, I thought that actually Firmino could have been much more of a of a helpful addition to Liverpool. If it, if you could do substitutions like basket, where you could just, in the NBA, you can just substitute a player off and then uh, bring him back on. I think that would have been perfect for Liverpool because they needed somebody else in between the lines because just they just couldn't break Chelsea down. And that's kudos to Chelsea. And and also, I want to give praise to, I think, Jorginho was absolutely out of this world. I think the transformation that he's had under Tuchel is absolutely amazing. He read every single interception very well, very good. And it just tells you that actually maybe, maybe, in fact, he was deserving of that award at the end of the day. And the other thing that we also talked last time around was how did you saw Lukaku versus Van Dijk as a, as a battle? Um, I thought that... Well, there wasn't too much of it because Lukaku initially just identified, you know what, if I'm going to fight one-on-one, -on -one, one of them, I want to fight Matip. No, I do not want to fight Van Dijk. I want to fight Matip. And he was constantly kind of harassing the Cameroonian out of this world. But but yeah, I think it was a good game, good for Chelsea. And and I think that if you're Liverpool, you are potentially a bit frustrated because you, you should have come out of this game with three points uh, by the end of the day. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Just briefly touching it and then we'll move on. I, th I think on Jorginho... 
Was he the best player of 2021? In my opinion, no. I think it was Lionel Messi. However, for the award, it was UEFA best player. He won the Euros, he won the Super Cup, and he won the Champions League, and he played a pivotal role in all of those tournaments. So it's just natural that they gave it to Jorginho. You know, we've seen it in previous years, and I really don't think it was as big of a travesty as people make it out. My stance on all these awards is that they should always be given to Lionel Messi. But as we've seen in previous years, that just isn't the case. So I don't really know why there was this huge uproar when it was Jorginho, who for me has been incredible, brilliant player. And I thought he was so good for Italy as well and winning so many huge titles, all of the biggest in the world. So that's my stance on him. I thought, again, he was good for Chelsea. He looked a little bit tired at first, but then he started, like you said, getting in, intercepting key passes. Lukaku versus Van Dijk was tough. I think I think Liverpool set up far better tactically than Arsenal did. So actually, we barely even got the ball to Lukaku with his back to goal with Van Dijk. Van Dijk, I thought, did very well. Van Dijk has come back in and looks looks very comfortable already. Lukaku did bully Matip a few times, but you know, in that second half, Lukaku didn't have the ball. We were just in our own half the whole game. But in the first half, when he did have it, he, he created a few decent chances. And I feel as if Chelsea could, could have killed the game earlier, that's for sure. Yeah. But then which game shall we move on to next? I have absolutely no idea. Shall we, you're the leader. Shall I'll we, follow you. Shall we do um shall we do Man City 5 now Arsenal? Mm, yeah, I guess that one. I just wanna say, Shaka, what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> but um but in all honesty, like uh, I feel that Arsenal fans are going to come here and be like, no, not particularly Arsenal fans. You know what? Actually, kind of other fans from other clubs are going to be like, oh, Arsenal's finished. Arsenal's in the bottom of the Premier League. And yeah, it makes sense. They're at the bottom of the Premier League. It's fun to laugh at someone when they're down. And But but the reality of it is that I feel that if you take a look at their matches, are, are their fixtures, they're battling probably the best side in the Premier League in, in in City. Then before that, they had the European Cup winners in Chelsea. And then before that, they had just a perfect real scenario where Brentford are coming up for their first game and Arsenal are just the perfect kind of measure because you can you they're not as good to be unbeatable and they're not as bad to not have any weight in them being beaten. So I feel that it was just kind of the stars aligning for that win. So it makes sense to to analyze and overreact at the fact that Arsenal are just kind of coming here, zero points out of three games, and they're going to be relegated or whatnot, and they need some allardice to bring them back. But nah, I think I think it's okay. But I do not feel either that they're going to be improving as much under Arteta as perhaps we shall anticipate. I think that after now the Premier League season begins at Norwich, and yeah, I think that's pretty much, I feel that you're going to finish somewhere in mid-table and that's kind of where Arsenal are at this stage. So I do not think whether you can be expecting them to be top six is going to be a realistic thing, but uh, they're going to be there. They're going to be in that bracket between the the Leicester cities all the way down to what Leeds United are. I think that's where Arsenal are going to finish and that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I I think Arsenal were were shocking, by the way. I, I must say, and I don't think Arsenal are in, a, are in a good moment at all right now. I really think they are in they're they're in trouble. But I do also agree that they had three games that weren't set up for them to lose. But you know, they weren't easy victories at all. And maybe people were expecting four points max really out of those games. If we're being honest with ourselves, everyone expected City to beat them. Maybe they would get a result against Chelsea, which they have been doing in previous years. And I think people on paper obviously would expect them to beat Brentford. But like you say, you know. They weren't three easy games, basically. And I do feel as if in the coming weeks, Arsenal will start to win matches again. I think they'll beat Norwich quite comfortably. I think they'll pick up points in the next games as well. You know, they've got Burnley away. they got a derby against Tottenham. That could be a good chance for them to either get a point or a win. they got games I think that they will start winning again. And I think Arsenal will probably finish between 
tenth or sixth, I think it'll, it'll be super hard for them to get into Champions League just because I think the the league is at such a high level, and that goes from. I don't think they're going to be close to getting Champions League. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in terms bad. of if we if we were thinking optimistically for Arsenal, I'll say you know even clubs like Leicester will really struggle to get into the Champions League because of how competitive and strong the league is. So I think Arsenal, you know. Maybe maybe best case scenario for them will be getting the Conference League or, or a massive push to the Europa League because there are so many strong teams. But in general, I'm expecting them to to win more points in the coming weeks. But I think against City and against Chelsea, they were so, so bad. Even before Jack had got sent off against City, it was just, you know, they do not look good at all. And quick on Man City, you know, very comfortable again. I, I always like watching Laporte play at centre-back. I really think he's, he's class. But of course, it was, it was super comfortable for City all day long. Yeah, I think... I think we were all expecting City to win that. And as soon as I saw the red card already being 2-0 up, I was like, it's done. It's done. I can just I can just spend my time doing something else because I don't need to watch this game anymore. I know how it's going to end. <laughs> I just literally, that's what happened for me. That's what happened for me. I just got on with different things. Other responsibilities were more of a priority than seeing potentially a miracle you know i just didn't want to see arsenal anymore because i knew how it's gonna end and i think that's how it is always with them you you go excited in there and then you just get frustrated i i'm so thankful i'm not an arsenal fan i really am <laughs> yeah it's it's rough isn't it we, we gotta be careful with Barcelona. though <laughs> yeah i guess maybe in the future we'll be like them yeah well anyway shall we should we I think we should end with probably the final Premier League game we'll speak about. We did touch about it briefly at the start when we spoke about Ronaldo and Manu, but Manchester United picked up a a one 0 away win to Wolves. That's now I think three three goals in three games for for Greenwood who won it late. But the main narrative of this game was that Wolves played superbly again. Somehow didn't score. De Gea made some cracking saves. Trincao and Adama looked very dangerous again for them on either wing. They looked like proper proper players for them this season. Very fun to watch and. United looked like they didn't play well, but as ever under Solskjaer, too much quality and, and they snatched the win. Yeah, I think that we can say a very similar thing with Wolves like Arsenal. I think that they started their campaign very hard. A game at Leicester, then they had what Tottenham and then they had United. That's also a hard fixture. Like You could potentially see them, like you said, getting max of three points or either free draws or one win somewhere around there. I would be too optimistic to say that. Under a new manager, new squad, new players, new 11, it could potentially be hard, but I think they shouldn't be worried. If you're a Wolves fan, don't be worried because I actually didn't see the game live, but then yesterday I just came back to watch it because I read somewhere on Twitter that Wolves had like 70, 58 shots in total of the first three games and zero goals, and I just was like, okay, I need to see what the hell is going on here. And... I have to admit, you're okay. Like, you're okay, Trincao. I have to give kudos to the guy. He was an absolute baller the other day. He was just taking Luxia for a run, really. And good on him, good on him. I think this loan to Wolf is going to be good for them. And I'm actually worried now as a Barca fan because I think that Wolves are going to exercise their option to buy if they have the possibility. But I'm begging that Trincao doesn't take it because, in all honesty, seeing what he's doing right now, Barcelona could could use that. Barcelona could use a player like him, honestly. We don't have a natural right winger. And with Griezmann just absolutely invisible, Trincao could be a good option for us. I do not know how that's going to pan out, but it was good. And and kudos to Wolves. And like I said, as soon as Raul Jimenez get back on track, Adama finds his scoring boots and the same with Trincao, you're going to have a good team. I wouldn't be worried. Bruno Lash was was laughing in the, in the bench because it was like a frustrating laugh. It's either you laugh or you cry. 
And I prefer to laugh here because like you're on the right track. You just need to wait for the goals. I would much rather be in a situation where I know that we are creating chances, but we're just lacking the final touch. And that's what you're, where you're at. I think that you're okay, Wolves. Like, honestly, be happy. You're doing a good job. Yeah, I, I completely agree. They, they look really good. Very fun to watch. I watched the whole second half, actually, for them against Tottenham. And it was I pro they probably were better against Man U, actually, from what I've seen. But they were very good. They were very good against Tottenham again. Very good indeed. Adama is <laughs> such a dangerous player. That guy is a machine. And Trincao, you know, we, we know quite a bit about him from, from his time at Barcelona. Very, very bright young winger. Very interesting. And I think Wolves actually will exercise that, that buy option. So, hey, Laporta. If you are selling all these good young players, at least you're making money, surely. It likes if you sell Emerson, Trincao as well. That's over 50 million euros, eh? Come on, let, let's, let's start making proper signings. Laporte is 50 to 60, please, please. Anyway, should we move on to Barcelona? Because we will have a lot to talk about on them. I'm going to let you start because, <laughs> again, as I always, I'm not happy with Barcelona right now. Please, you know, leave your thoughts on, on what you saw against Hetafe over the weekend. I think this is Memphis FC Barcelona, honestly. Like Memphis FC, that's literally what saves Barcelona at this current stage. Like when we take a look at the game against Getafe, we started good. We got a goal from Sergio Roberto, which honestly, he's doing great. He's doing amazing. He has the same contribution as Memphis Depay. So it could be called Roberto FC, for all I know. Um, two goals, one assist, doing good. The same with Depay. And I think that we had a bright start. But then after that, I, I this is where it pays me to say, I do not know whether it's a tactical decision by the manager. It's an instruction by him or whatnot. But... We always just crumble. We don't have that associative play. I think that Getafe just packed the midfield and we couldn't break through. And then I do not understand the what's the opposite of being proactive. Basically, just the opposite. Kuman is that. He didn't know what to do. He didn't make any substitutions to try and fix it. I said that we needed a midfielder that's able to beat, not the press, but just somebody on one-on-one, -on -one, be able to break through that line. We needed somebody there, a Coutinho, a Ricky Pucha, a Yusuf Demir. No, we take out Roberto and, no, actually, we take out Roberto. Yeah, we take out Roberto and we bring in Gabi and Nico Gonzalez, which fair, good enough. But I do not think, I think Gabi's a little bit of that style of player of profile, but we, we could have used somebody else. Particularly, I think Coutinho and Enrique Pucci could have been such of a good uh, a good addition to what, what we needed. And then after that, I just have to pinpoint once again, highlight Anton Griezmann. This is a game where you have to appear. This is a game where we need your creativity, your spark, your good, your tracking back, your defending. I appreciate that. But you need a lot more of presence. You need to be believing in the role that you have now. I feel that he needs to be a little bit more... He needs to hang out a little bit more with Memphis Depay because Memphis Depay has that aura of, I don't give a fuck. And Griezmann doesn't have that. Griezmann, we need your associative play. We need you to come in deep. We need you to get the ball. We need you to link up and start clicking and speeding up the tempo of the game. Because right now, our circulation of the ball is really slow. Weak passes, weak circulation. Uh, I'll say many misplayed opportunities. A lot of this could have been done and would have potentially been improved by a good appearance of Anton Griezmann, I think. And we are thankful that Memphis Depay is honestly such a baller. He really is. That second goal, it was all him. was all him. Good pass from Frankie the Young Boss. But it was all him. It was all Memphis Depay. It was all Memphis Depay. And I'm thankful right now that we have him. But if we want to at least be competitive this season, we need Griezmann. We need to recover him and we need to recover... I'm going to say so. I think we need to recover Coutinho as well because there are potentially, when we talk about on paper, the best players 
they are. They're those two that are potentially the best players that we have at our disposal, but they're just not there at that level yet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I was I was not happy with yesterday's performance. I really wasn't. We we got an important victory, and we've now got what seven points out of, out of a possible nine in our first three games in La Liga, which is a good return. We did have three hard games, so on paper it's a it's a good return. But honestly, the performance, I'm I'm just not happy with it at all. On I, I thought we were so so poor. We started so brightly with the first goal, but after that, you know, for the rest of the eighty nine minutes, what was that from Barcelona? So little chance creation sloppy with possession, constantly giving it away. We looked weak without the board as well. Hetafe found it quite easy to get us and a higher quality team would have scored more goals. Even to Stegen for the Sandro goal, you know, a little bit out of place and the defence didn't look so coordinated. All round for Barcelona, it wasn't a good performance. Koeman, tactically again, we have to question it. On the substitutes front, don't know what on earth he was thinking. Uh, when, when, when I saw that that Gavi was going to come on when Sergio Roberto went off injured. I thought, yeah, that's a good sub from you, Kuman. We could have seen Vicky, we could have seen Coutinho, but yeah, okay, you, you prefer Gavi, fair enough. And and then he brought off Braithwaite for Nico. Nico, for anyone watching, is essentially like our Busquets replacement. So what we did is just kind of have like a line of four. And then even after that, uh, he, had, he had Serginho Dest on, on the field and as Griezmann went off later as well. Uh, we had a, a and and uh, Oscar Mingueza on, on for Emerson. So... We just had almost like this this 5-4-1, which just meant this on his own up front for the last 10 minutes of the game. And just tactically, like, what is going on at Barcelona right now? And and the play as well. I think certain players are massively underperforming, like Antoine Griezmann. Other players just don't have the level, the likes of Martin Braithwaite and, and a few others in there probably as well, like maybe Longley at the back, who I thought had an okay game. But if we're being serious as, as a club in terms of competing for Europe, I think we need we need a better squad overall. And then I think again, you know, it can it can come down to Kuman and and, and and tactically and and how we're performing as a team is just not up to scratch. And I think this international break comes at a nice time for us football fans to kind of just take a breath and just you know try and try and get a bit of rest before the before another month of action. Yeah, I think that honestly we're a little bit um, hindered by the in, by the lack of our wingers. I think that we're gonna be seeing potentially something better from Ansufati and Usman Dembele. And I'm begging us to try back again the 4-2-3-1 that Kuman wanted to try at the first. I, I think that maybe Coutinho as a 10 or, or Griezmann playing through the middle, it could give us something else because creatively we are not there yet. We are not there yet. And we the last two goals that Barcelona has scored were literally, the last three were just kind of sparks of brilliance of one or two players. And it's actually just one, it's Memphis Depay. Two goals from Mr. Pai in the last two ones individually, and then a good play, look good pass from him into Jordi Alba, and then that's it. Like that's it. It's literally just Memphis Pai doing the work. So we need something else. We need something else. And it, it's apparent it's apparent now that, for instance, I think somebody like Moriba could have also helped us because he's a different sort of play, player. He's the only player, the only midfielder Barcelona is producing that is a little bit different to the profile of others. He's a little bit more vertical. I think that could have aided us as well, but he's going to Leipzig and we know how that's going to go. Maybe we want to discuss that later on in this in this episode. I, I don't know. But the other thing is um, Kuman is looking now for a number nine, apparently. He's looking for a proper rematador, a finisher. Number nine, they're saying they're looking for someone in Germany, whatnot, in a loan. Who are you going to get? Patrick Schick, well, workhorse. Who are you going to get? I mean... What what player are you gonna get that's gonna improve this? No, a number nine isn't gonna improve this. 
Sorry, um, I, 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 I just just to butt in there, I just I just don't agree with with Kuman's thinking here. I really I don't get it. This guy, honestly, I really don't. The issue we've got right now is that we're essentially playing three central players across the front three. The issue is we don't we don't have natural wingers. So when Kuman loses players, good players as well, by the way, like Emerson, who was meant to really help us in big games this season. Emerson was meant to be the guy we brought in, and we said, yeah, that's a strong right back. Say we're selling him, yeah, okay, one, that's a disaster, as we said earlier, but two. If you are going to bring in a replacement, I, I, I don't get what Kuman sees. Why do we need another striker? Aguero's going to be back in November as well. Then you'd have Aguero, Memphis, and Braithwaite, and another striker? I I really I really am I'm baffled by this. Yeah, I think that we are lacking there in the wingers. I think we need the wingers. And when Kuman signed for Barca and he was appointed, there was this whole thing about how he was going to bring in natural wingers back into Barcelona because before we were playing with Griezmann, Messi and Suarez and none of them are wingers, right? So I was like, yes, this is what we need. We need the pace of Usman Dembele. We need the the trickery from Ansu Fati, but nah, we just disappeared. And, I, and I'm still baffled by the fact that we let Trincao go. Like, we why? We don't have somebody to replace him. People were saying Alex Collado, but he just fell off a cliff now and we need Yusuf Demir and yeah, the mid may play as a winger, but he isn't also a natural right winger. He isn't that. So I would have stick with Trincao. I think that would have helped us. We need these wingers back in the side, and it's not going to be a while until we see them. So we need to find a, a different solution. I still go back to, for me, the, the formation I would play would be a 4-1-2-1-2, seeing Coutinho behind a striking duo of Memphis and Griezmann. I think that could work nicely. Because right now, having a Braithwaite up top doesn't really make much, much of a difference. He's there and thereabouts. So I think somebody else linking up the play like Coutinho could be more of a of a helpful addition in the midfield. Pack the midfield, see how we do from there, and, and see how we go. But, but I don't get it. Like you say, why bring a nine? We don't need a nine. We literally do not need a nine. And then... The other thing, are we going to sell Emerson? Are we going to play with one one right back and one left back for the season? I thought that I thought it makes sense. I, I didn't understand it at first when we saw Junior Firpo and then we had a replacement. But then I was like, you know what? Des can play on the left and he's kind of quite good on the left as well. So it makes sense and we're keeping Emerson and Roberto. But now if you let that go, you literally only have three players for four positions and only one technically for for one, for two, sorry, as a left back and a backup left back. So what are you going to do? I do not get this planning. And once again, I think that it's easy to blame Kuman in this situation. And I think it's fine tactically. He's not adept. And I think that's where we're lacking. But the other thing is that there's no planning. And he doesn't have that... that um, he, His job isn't that. To plan the way that that, that isn't going. I think that's, that's a responsibility from higher up. And that's also where we're lacking. And I do not see how Laporta's initial tenure can be looked as anything more than just decent i think that like you said at the start of the episode many of the signings many of the movements that we would have seen under bartomeo are the same that laporta would have done uh, or no actually the same signings that we've seen from laporta are the same bartomeo would have done so like you say no change yeah i i completely agree then that's that like you say we can blame kuman for, for tactics and, and personnel but the squad planning we are seeing right now is horrific. And it's and for me, it's, it's a hugely underrated thing, actually, in football. The squad planning from the top can define a season. It really can. If you you you, you got to go through almost like a like a FIFA career mode when you're in the transfer market and you plan your squad and you say, right, we want two right-backs, two left-backs, four centre-backs, or three midfielders there, then another, then another three as, as back up. 
you've got to plan it like that. It sounds basic and it sounds simple, and that's why for me it's underrated, but it has to be done. And Barcelona don't do that. We just sell and say, yeah, 30 million, yeah, we'll just get a striker now and instead after we've sold a right back, you know. I don't know what goes on at this club right now. And people at Alemani, Ramon Planes, you know, people we have at the club for this reason, why are they acting like 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 Bartomeu would have acted is it is really painful and you know we, we could we could speak two three hours about about Barcelona really but we'll wrap up quickly before we go on to talk about transfer league and uh, sorry not transfer league well transfer window transfer and, league <laughs> kind, of, kind, of, kind, of, kind of is a transfer league isn't it but um Champions League and and, and the whole transfer window let should we wrap up quickly with uh with the other La Liga games with uh, Real Madrid and, and also Atletico I suppose. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really have much to talk about Real Madrid. I was quite quite busy during that game, so I couldn't see it. But um, but about Atletico and Villarreal, I just feel that Atletico has so many tools. Like right now, you take a look at their bench, and they're wow, they're really wow. I think that it's fine for them to be the favorites right now. Both Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, all in seven points. So it's gonna be a quite interesting, quite interesting run from here on out. But I want to give a little bit of praise to Villarreal because I think that Villarreal are are a good grind fest. And I think that they're going to be surprising and taking some few points from the big teams this time around. And you take a look how Emery improved this team after some few seasons and it's just kudos to him. He wasn't the right man for Arsenal, but he certainly is the right man here to play in La Liga. And I'm, and I'm quite excited to see how Villarreal does in the Champions League this season, how they manage mm. to cope with that. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, Villarreal deserve a lot of respect for what they've been doing under Emery. They really do. That Atletico game, I agree. I think I think Atletico have a lot and a lot of tools. They've got a really quality squad, and that is that is probably the best in the league. And I can kind of see why people have been saying that now because it is really strong. And of course, they've got the coach to go with it. Real Madrid versus Betis was an interesting game. I was actually expecting a lot more from Betis. They usually uh, provide me with a, with a lot of excitement, a lot of attacking football, but. It was actually quite dull from from their point of view. And Real Madrid, you know, just classic Real Madrid, really one nil away from home. Cadvajal goal, very odd and out of nowhere. But I think overall Real Madrid were the better team and and they got the deserved victory. Yeah, um, I think there's really not much to add there. I think Serie A did quite good. I think Bundesliga expected teams won. So I think that we can move directly into the Champions League group stages and see how we see them panning out. And maybe talk about some few transfers before we end. Okay then guys, so here we are at the discussion of the Champions League group stage draw. Of course, midweek on the Thursday, I believe it was, was when uh, the draw was made for this season's Champions League groups. There were some good ones. Let's kick start with Group A, which was uh, kind of the group of death actually. Man City, PSG, RB Leipzig and Club Bruges. I, I think I think initially Man City and PSG are obviously the favourites to go through. It could have been Ronaldo versus Messi. It definitely won't be now. Of course, Ronaldo has gone to Man U. Leipzig will definitely put up a fight. I think Leipzig actually beat Dortmund over the weekend, so so fair play to them. They look like they're still going this season uh, with Jesse March as the coach. So I think that group there is the group of death. It's certainly the one we're, we're probably all, we've probably all got our eyes on, especially those PSG Man City games. But how do you see this one panning out? Um, I think that Manchester City are going to finish top. I think that PSG are, of course, going to be a, a serious watch. But for me, the thing is that PSG has to struggle a little bit with the adaptation of certain players and particularly new names and how you're going to fit in them all into a system. I think that's where Pochettino has a little bit his work cut out for him. And and yeah, I honestly think they're going to struggle perhaps to, to have that sort of coherent style of play throughout the entire entirety of the games here in the group stage. I think Man City already know what they play at. I, even without a striker, they have already scored 10 goals in the last two games at the moment of recording. So that's still insane. 
And yeah, I think it's going to be a wonderful watch. And certainly that's the blockbuster game of the group stages. I, I really do think that we're going to have seen a cracker game there, both in the Park the Prince and at the Etihad. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would probably agree with you. If I had to pick one, I think I would go for Man City. I think they're the more established side. Group B was also a really, really competitive group uh, draw, actually. We got Atletico, we have Liverpool, we've got Porto, and we've got AC Milan. That's another really, really strong group, actually. Kind of like some of the top teams, actually, from each from each little pot. So what do you think about that one? Uh, I think that Liverpool right now, not only for the Champions League, but taking a look at how they're doing the Premier League as well, I think they're back to their groove. A little bit out of sync, but back to where they need to be. And I think that's going to be good enough for them to end up first. I think they got the right tools in attack. The incorporation of Van Dijk is good. The squad rotations there in the midfield are, are good enough. Konate as well is a good addition. I feel they're going to finish top, and then I finish Atletico second. I'm going to put Porto actually third and Milan at the bottom. I think that Milan, I feel that they're just a weaker side from last season, and I think they're going to struggle a lot between battling out both in the Serie A and in the Champions League. We saw, for instance, how much they struggled due to the Europa League. Now they enter the latter stages, how they dropped off in the second half, and that's because they got a thin squad, and I do not see that that's going to bring them here a good fruitful results in the Champions League I think they're going to struggle and I think Porto under Sergio Consensao is still being a very solid side they beat Juventus last season let's remind us about that I think Porto surprisingly getting the UEL and then Milan finish bottom yeah I, I would I would probably be inclined to agree with you to be honest on that one I I, I think obviously I think Liverpool and Atleti will go through if I had to pick one to top the group, I'll go with Liverpool because Atleti actually historically do struggle and usually don't come first in their Champions League groups. They usually draw a few games and drop quite a few points, actually, even at the Wanda. Um, Porto and AC Milan, that's so hard to call, but because of Porto's performances, I suppose I'll go with them for the uh, for the Europa League spot. Group C was maybe the group that didn't have the biggest names in it, but it actually could be quite fun. We have Sporting Lisbon, we have Borussia Dortmund, we've got Ajax and we've got Besiktas. What do you think about this one? I think Haaland is going to have some fun here. <laughs> I think Haaland may secure once again to be the top goal scorer just in this group. I think that Dortmund um, are going to be very happy with this draw. I think they're going to be able to potentially finish top. It's going to be a change because they haven't done that in the past few seasons. So it's going to be good. Potentially that can take them all the way to the quarterfinals maybe for Haaland's last season there. I think actually then after that it's going to be in between Besiktas well, all of them can finish second. I want to give a little bit of a shout out to Lisboa, to Sporting. I think that they last season almost came out and beaten throughout the entirety campaign at, at the Portuguese League. So that's good for them. And I think that they got some good squads, some good players. They're going to surprise a few. They may take away some points of people in home, especially. So I think it's between them and Ajax. I haven't seen Damas of Besiktas this season, but if I had to put my money on one of them, it would be Ajax or Sporting Lisboa. Honestly, I, I completely agree. I think Besiktas will finish fourth, like, like you. You know, I haven't watched Besiktas this season, but I think I think they will finish last. Um, I think it's between Sporting and Ajax for the Europa League in second spot, but I'm going to back Dortmund to come first as well. Group D, uh, we have Inter Milan, Real Madrid, Shakhtar Donetsk, and then Sheriff, one of the newer sides actually in the in the Champions League this season. That group is actually really similar to a group that was there last season. I think. Uh, Sheriff obviously weren't there and uh, and a different side wasn't there it was actually Munch and, Glad Munch and Gladbach wasn't it who were with uh, with, uh, in with Inter, Real and Shakhtar they were with um, Munch and Gladbach were in there last season so it's a quite a similar group isn't it 
Yeah, I want to shout out Sheriff because they got a Peruvian as a center back. They have uh, Gustavo Dulanto, who the other day came on an interview here in Peruvian, tele- in t- in Peruvian TV. And yeah, he was saying like, he, he okay, he was full of himself. He was like, yeah, we know that we have less investment than perhaps Inter, Shakhtar, and Real Madrid, but I think we also price a few. And I'm like, uh, yeah, probably you, you won't, but... um. But you never know. You never know. Like, this is the magic of the Champions League. You never know. Sherry, first-time debutants from Moldova. They're actually not from Moldova. They're from a place called Transitania that I have never heard ever before, which is like an independent republic in Moldova, which is so weird. So they're even smaller than Moldova, which is pretty small. And yeah, but but in terms of Ramadit, Inder, and the rest, I think that Ramadit are going to finish top. I think Inder are going to finish second. Shakhtar are going to finish third. I think Inter... They should progress this season to the to the next stages because they've been always falling here. Um, they're not progressing to the round of 16. In this group, they should they should progress to the next round. So let's see whether they have that on their on their locker. They're weaker than last season, and Ramari are perhaps a little bit better. So I I, I don't know. I think that this would be just Ramari and Inter flip, and that's how it's gonna end. Yeah, I I, I, de- I definitely agree. But as as you said, watch out for Inter because they they always seem to slip up in the Champions League group stages. So now with a weaker team and perhaps a, a lesser coach in Inzaghi, but you know he's got to prove himself in the Champions League. Let's see how they do because they really you know that they best they best be getting out of that one. I think I think for them after what they've done in previous campaigns. Let's move on to Group E, which does have Barcelona in Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Benfica, and Dynamo Kiev. How do you see this one playing out, dude? I was like. I actually was like, okay, we're, we were between getting Bayern and getting Lille. And I was like, okay, we're going to get Bayern here. It's like, we are going to get Bayern here. And we got Bayern. And then it was like, I was like, imagine Benfica coming out in Group E. And then we got Benfica in Group E. This is literally, I don't think this is as, as hard of a group as people make it out to be. But I do think that Barcelona and Benfica, that is where the group is going to be decided. <laughs> I actually think those are the games. If Barcelona managed to beat Benfica twice, good on them. But... um. But if we lose some points here and there, we, we're going to struggle. We, we're certainly going to struggle. The games are against Benfica. Bayern Munich, I think they're a level up above the rest of teams here in this group. But yet again, they still need to adapt a little bit, like I said, on the Nagelsmann. But it seems like the adaptation process is almost complete because they've scored... Wait a minute. They've scored 17 goals in the last two games. Oh, yeah. Because That's of insane. That, because of that cup tie, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it's a funny stat. 17 goals in the last two games. That's insane. So we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe, maybe Barcelona can be competitive against them, but that's just what I hope. I, I just expect Barcelona to be competitive against Bayern and try and beat Benfica twice and beat Dinamo certainly twice. That's where I would go. I think Bayern going to finish first and Barcelona second, then Benfica third and then Dinamo fourth. I completely agree. Well, this is a huge test for Barcelona, by the way, because if we perform like we have been doing against Hetafe and Athletic, we will we'll be on the end of another battering for but from Bayern, honestly. So you know we've got to stand up in this group, and those games to Benfica are absolutely huge. And I think obviously we're kind of already writing off Dynamo, so we've got to be careful with them as well. We have to beat Dynamo twice. We've probably got to draw away to Benfica and beat them at home, is the way I see it, and then Bayern Munich. If we can just snatch some draws off of them, I think that'll, that'll be great for Barcelona. Let's move on to Group F then. An interesting group. Maybe not so strong, but I think it, it, there could be some really fun games here. We've got Villarreal and Manchester United, which was the Europa League final last season. Then we've got Atalanta, and then we've got Young Boys. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I literally I literally just read that Kulisewski could be moving to Atalanta. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Makes, well, I, yeah by the time I, recording, with probably about five new transfers happened, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, um, literally. I think that Manchester United could be going top. I I think they are literally the team to beat here in this group. Of course, I think that the way that Atalanta play uh, could suit them a lot. Could really suit them a lot. They play kind of. I, I I'm just thinking Leeds United. I, I'm I'm thinking Leeds United versus Manchester United here. Um, Villarreal. I think I would back Villarreal to finish second. That's what I want to see. I'm not too sure whether that's what what will happen, but I think that Villarreal got the tools at least to finish second, and I feel that they will want to kind of at least do a good performance because they haven't been in the in the Champions League for a really long time. So I'm thinking Manchester United first, Villarreal second, Atalanta third, maybe Young Boys fourth. But uh, but it's between Atalanta and Villarreal, surely. Yeah, I'm I'm completely with you on this one. I think United will not so sure about have fun, but I think they can get some big results in this group, definitely against Atalanta as well. I think United will finish top. I'm going to go for Villarreal second as well because I think they've got... They've got that grit in them. They really do fight for results, Villarreal. So I think they, they've definitely got the tools, like you say, to finish second. But them and Atalanta, I always actually rule out Atalanta. But people, I think, rightly rate, rate them really highly. So let's see how they do. Let's move on to Group G now. This maybe is the group that people find, you know, less uh, less overwhelming, if you like. But I think actually... There are better Europa at, League groups. Yeah, there are some what, sorry? There are better Europa League groups. Yeah. <laughs> I are. mean... Lille, Sevilla, Salzburg, and Wolfsburg. I think individually there are some exciting teams there, but as a whole, it, it doesn't stand out. But but what do you think about this one? Um, I'm thinking that Sevilla will probably finish top. I think that's where we're going to be looking at Sevilla there. I think Lille are going to finish bottom. <laughs> Sorry, Lille. But, um, but they have not been good at all with their new manager. I think they're struggling quite a bit. And I see that potentially affecting them, particularly here in the Champions League. I think they're weaker as well. Uh, I think they're going to finish bottom. I think Salzburg, we saw how good of a team they were in preseason. They're they're constantly, constantly fighting. And I think that Salzburg and Wolfsburg, it's between one of them to finish second. And I think it's going to be just etched by Wolfsburg. I think it's going to be Sevilla first, Wolfsburg second, then Salzburg third, and Lille at the end. Yeah, I, I'll go with Sevilla to finish first. I think I made a mistake earlier when I mentioned about Dortmund playing Leipzig. I'm pretty sure it was actually Wolfsburg who beat Leipzig this weekend. I think they beat them 1-0. And you've been you've been saying how, how well Wolfsburg have been doing in previous podcasts, actually, when we've done Bundesliga roundups. And so they look like they could be a really good side this season. So based on that, I will put them second. I think I'm gonna put I think I'm gonna put Lille third and, and Salzburg fourth though. But again, you know, I, I really I really don't catch enough of Salzburg, but I also do know that they are they are an exciting team, so let's see how they do. And then the final group, we've got Chelsea, Juventus, Zenit, and Malmo. What do you think about this one? Uh, I think it's gonna finish exactly how it is. <laughs> I think it's gonna be Chelsea, Juventus, Zenit, and Malmo at bottom. I think that's how it's gonna go. I think Traveling to Zenit to Russia is going to be a little bit of a struggle for Juventus, Chelsea, and particularly Malmo. But uh, I think Zenit may take a few points from there. But then I think Chelsea are better than Juventus. I think they're far better than Juventus at this current stage. So I wouldn't be ruling out. Yeah, I think they're not going to be any surprise. I think it's going to be Chelsea, Juventus, Zenit, and Malmo. Yeah, I agree. I think Chelsea are a, are a far superior team to Juventus right now. But... You know, if Chelsea were to go away to Juventus and and lose or draw, I wouldn't be like I wouldn't be taken aback by it, to be honest. But I think Chelsea should be aiming to to beat Juventus at Stamford Bridge and see if they can get a point or a win away from home. I really do. And then Zenit and Malmo, you know, Chelsea just got to be careful and take points off of them. But 
I think Chelsea can can get first in the group, but I think it will be a solid battle between us and Juventus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So quickly to round up, we said City first and PSG to progress, and we yeah. had Liverpool, Atletico Madrid, yeah. Dortmund. Uh, I say Sporting. You said Ajax, right? Oh, it's hard. I'll just go Ajax, but I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if they went to Europa League. Group D, Real Madrid and Inter. Group yep. E, Bar and Barca. Group F, United Villarreal. Group G, Sevilla, Wolfsburg. And mm-hmm. then Group H, Chelsea and Juventus. Yep. So now, what remains? What remains before we close off this podcast? Shall we Shall we talk a bit about transfers and maybe give a few names that could be moving before the end of the window? Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, then, and to wrap up the podcast, we are going to be talking a bit about transfers and discussing some deals that could and maybe definitely will happen uh, before the window ends. I'm going to start, actually, by talking about Chelsea. And I think Chelsea are a team who, of course, have already brought in Lukaku, but have also sold a lot and a lot of players and have brought in a lot of money. And maybe after winning the Champions League, a club like Chelsea are expected to, to you know, go crazy and get almost like a negative 100 million spend. But with the way Chelsea work, they've brought in a lot and a lot of money in, and I feel like there is money left over, certainly, to make more additions. The main addition we've been speaking about for, for about a month now, actually, is is Jules Koundé, the centre-back from Sevilla. I'm sure a lot of you listeners watching, uh, if you are La Liga fans, will know about Koundé. Very bright young centre-back, and he's been the one who Chelsea have been going for. There's been a really, really difficult negotiation going on with Sevilla for, like I say, about a month now, which has been really frustrating. And at the time of recording, I'm still on edge as to whether it's going to happen or not. It was apparently that it was said that we had agreed a fee, and that's why we let go of Zuma to West Ham. But then apparently Sevilla now want more money because they know that we need Kunde because we've let go of Zuma, so they're playing hardball with us. So let's see if Chelsea, you know, bite the bullet or not on that one. I, I, it it could still go either way. And then a midfielder is another another position Chelsea definitely need. I think I said about five podcasts ago about the potential of Declan Rice to Chelsea, but that isn't happening. The name on the table now is, is Saul Niguez from Atletico on loan. That would be really the only midfield option for Chelsea right now. And I feel as if it would be a really, really, really important signing of Chelsea to compete on on all fronts this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, honestly, your squad is pretty packed right now. I think that if you look at some departures, the Suma one to West Ham is one that we need to highlight. I think, how in the hell are you getting 30 minutes for him? That's wow. That's, that's <laughs> impressive. So good on you. Marina. Yeah, Marina Granovskaya. Oh, well, I don't know how his last name means. <laughs> Granovskaya. Granovskaya, yeah. Um, very hard to say. Yeah. But, uh, but anyhow, uh, another transfer that I really was surprised and I think would be good for all parties, I think it's Marcel mm. Savitzer to Bayern Munich. I just yeah. saw at the moment of recording this podcast, as soon as we started recording, this happened. This was officialized. So I just really want yep. to mention him. Savitzer. I think it's an incredible player, and I think that he's going to be helping a lot Bayern Munich because if we take a look at what they could line up in a 4-3-3, for instance, which seems to be now Nagelsmann's preferred um, formation, I think he's going to be helping them a lot. Himan Goretzka will be running that midfield, and then Kimi him behind, that looks like a tasty midfield free. That really does. Another one that then will replace uh, Leip- will replace Sainzler at Leipzig is uh, Ilex Moriba. We know that he didn't want to renew with Barcelona because he wanted more money. Uh, I'm really not too sure what he was thinking, but sure enough, I think that it's going to be good to see him play somewhere else. I want to see how he progresses. I think he could be could have been an, an important player for Barcelona. Maybe not a, a starter week in and week out, but certainly give something else. And now at Leipzig, uh, certainly I think is we're going to be seeing something different from him. Yeah, yeah I, I completely agree. 
Do you want to tie up the podcast there? Yeah, yeah, I think we can we can wrap it up right there. Actually, before I want to mention one final thing, which it is just people watch out for Norwich City. They made two incredible signings, Osan Kabak and Matthias Norman from FC Rostov CDM from Norway. Really good signings. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> I don't know why I like some, Norwich so, City so, so, so much. Some Norwich, pro- <laughs> so, some Norwich propaganda for you to, for end, to end the podcast. Yeah, I just want Norwich to good. They have a soft spot in my heart, but come on, please win a game. <laughs> they, they've got Arsenal after the, the international break, haven't they? No, yeah, they got Arsenal, I think, then you, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, no, no, I, I, sorry, I said that, I said they've got Arsenal after the international oh, break. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, but yeah, I think that's how it is. Um, pretty good, pretty good podcast. I like it. We're gonna be uploading some of this to YouTube as well, so stay tuned for that. And and yeah, Paulo, something else you want to say or maybe, maybe no, no, um, enjoyed it. I think I think we actually spoke about a lot today. We spoke about almost all of the big issues in quite some depth. So there was a lot and lot to talk about. There really was. But yeah, I, th- I think we got it all out. Yeah. Now I'm gonna go make some dinner, lunch. I'm starving. So see you guys in the next one. Take care. Ciao, ciao.